So I'm going to ask you to remain standing for the scripture passage. Our scripture passage this morning is from the ninth chapter of Genesis. And we're going to begin with uh, verse 8 and read through verse 17. And um, if the scripture passage is up there, I'm going to ask for you to read with me. Would you read the, um, these words from Genesis 9 with me? Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. So our sermon series for the month of May in the CLC and in the sanctuary is about practices that sustain community. So things that you can do that will support, that will lift up Christian community. So it could be here at the church, at home, in your families, or any place that you're engaged in a Christian organization. These are practices that are good for community relationships. So these practices were first, or I first came across them as suggested in a book by, um, by a seminary professor named Christine Pohl. She teaches at Asbury Seminary. And she says that there are four practices that are good for Christian community. The first of those practices uh, is um, hospitality. And so we spent a lot of the fall talking about hospitality. The second practice that she mentions is gratitude. And so last week the sermon was on gratitude. The third practice that she talks about is promise making and promise keeping. And the fourth practice is telling the truth. And so this week and next week we're going to talk about promise making and promise keeping. And I get that this may be of the four topics the most difficult of the topics to talk about because Talking about promises and whether or not you're keeping them is a conversation that we usually only have when promises are broken or they're in danger of being broken. At least this is the case at my house. A week before last, there was a tense morning conversation in my home when my exhausted fourth grader said at 6.30 in the morning, one week into his term, his term, his term, his term is gone, I'm going to quit patrols. <laughs> Now, it's when that word quit is used in my house that it's like my grandfather peeks his head out of the grave to remind me that a person is as good as their word and that in this family we honor our commitments. 
And so it's with that in the background that my immediate response to Daniel was, no, we are not quitting patrols. We turned in the form. We told Coach Salinas, yes, that we would be in patrols. We are going to serve. Now, I don't know. He he kept it to himself, but I bet that he was thinking, hey, Mom, what's this we? (laughs) I don't see you putting on the reflective vest in the 95-degree heat to haul the recycling out to the recycling bin. But he kept that to himself, and he reluctantly agreed to continue in patrols. And so my grandfather was able to rest in peace. And since then, we haven't had any further conversations in our house about keeping promises. Because we only talk about keeping promises when the conditions are stressed. When there's a promise that either hasn't been kept, or it looks like there's a promise that's not going to be kept. Christine Pohl says that what makes promises essential to community is that they provide a framework for us. So they provide a framework for relationships, uh, for community. It's those promises that we make, those commitments that we give, contracts that we sign, covenants that we make that give the framework. They're they're like a skeleton. Um, They're like a skeleton that provides structure. And then our time together and the shared tasks that we have, in a, either in, as a family or as a church, the understanding that we give it of ourselves and in one another, and the intimacy that we experience, that's like the meat on the bones. But we don't really notice the skeleton. We don't notice those promises unless there's something wrong with it, right? Unless it's broken. So the topic for today is an unrequired x-ray. I want to start off by saying nobody in here is in trouble. No one in here should sit in shame. No one in here is in trouble. You're not to feel guilty about past promises that you haven't been able to keep because the fact of the matter is that each of us could recall a time when we've given our word to something and then we just haven't kept that word for whatever reason. When teaching on a Making Promises and Keeping Promises, Sam Wells, who was uh, the former dean of the chapel at Duke Divinity School, distinguished between a contract and a covenant. And he said it's important for us to have in our minds this distinction between what we do when we enter into a contract and what we do and who we are when we enter into a covenant. So a contract, you all know about contracts. You are a part, I'm sure, in your everyday work life and just living out life in in contracts. A contract is a voluntary agreement. It happens between two free agents, and it creates an obligation, and that obligation can be enforced by the contract. We have contracts over limited matters, so they come to an end. And they are a way of keeping things under control. If things get out of control with a contract, there's a third party, right? Usually a court of law. And we go to that court of law when our contracts are broken. Whether or not our contracts that we're a part of are broken, they are finite agreements. So at some point in time, they all come to an end. You really don't have to trust another person to be in a contract with them because the contract provides the security, right? We almost always know when we enter into a contract because we sign it. 
we sign a contract or we click on that little button that says, I agree to these terms and conditions, whether or not we've read it, or we cast a vote. So those are all contracts that we enter into. But a covenant, a covenant is different. And that's what we were talking about, what we were reading about when we read from the ninth chapter of Genesis. A covenant is a different kind of arrangement. A covenant is about powers that we could never even hope to control. There's an unpredictability or an out-of-control nature to entering into a covenant. Um, The most precious things in life, the most precious times that we have in our lives are run by covenants. So a covenant determines who holds your hand when you die, right? That's determined by a covenant. A covenant determines who will you turn to when you come to a difficult crossroads in your life. That's determined by a covenant. While contracts are finite, covenants aren't. We hope that the covenant that we enter into will last. So we bring that expectation to any covenant that we're into. When a covenant is broken, though, it's a little bit different from a contract. When a covenant is broken, it it can be hurtful. It can even be devastating. You know, there can be heartbreak there. Not all times, but sometimes we enter into a covenant with the witness of our community. So we've all been a part of weddings or baptismal ceremonies or we've been there to witness. Those are covenants. Those are covenants that we enter into formally. And I think it's a good idea to enter into a covenant formally because then you're well aware of what you're getting yourself into, right? A covenant is, is always about um, trust, or me, maybe even a better word than trust is to say that when we get into a covenant, we are um, putting ourselves out there. We are willing to be vulnerable when we enter into a covenant, and it's always about participation. When we're in a covenant, we don't just sign it and walk away and don't think about it. But a covenant is we enter into a covenant and then we don't rest on our laurels, but we participate in it. It becomes a part of what we do. It becomes a part of who we are. It becomes a part of our identity. Um, As Christians, we might consider that it would be ideal to turn a contract into a covenant. So you can't always do that. But in some instances, prayerfully and ideally, that would be a good thing as Christians. We find that people that we're in business with, they begin to trust us enough to depend on us because we give our word to them and we keep our word and we give our word to them and we keep our word. And then in that, integrity is revealed and um, other people can depend on us. Trust shows up. And so you can convert a contract to a covenant, and that's a good thing. But Sam Wells goes on to say the reverse is not true. You don't want to take your covenants and turn them into contracts. In fact, he says that's a very certain road to hell if you turn your covenants into contracts. So working the other direction might look like this. It might look like, well, a prenuptial agreement that you bring into a relationship that's already established. That's taking a covenant and turning it into a contract. Or it looks like a child that takes their parents to court 
um, that sues their parents. That's taking a covenant and turning it into a contract. And when we take a covenant and we turn it into a contract, we're saying that we don't trust. We don't trust people. We don't trust God's provision. And we're certainly not practicing forgiveness. And so contract to covenant, that's a good thing. But covenant to contract, not such a good thing. The passage from um, Genesis chapter 9 is a covenant that God makes with all of creation. And in these 10 verses, the covenant is repeatedly mentioned. You know, we read through the verses together. Didn't you feel like it was repetitive? It's like it said the same thing over and over again. Now, I count that the covenant is mentioned in those 10 verses seven different times. And if that's right, that's important. That's a divine number. And so in that passage, when God is talking about the covenant that God makes with all of creation, this is what is said about the covenant, that it is being established, that it will have a sign, and that the sign will cause God to remember the covenant. So seven times that covenant is mentioned. And the sign of the covenant in this passage, you know this. You either know this from your own experience of vacation Bible school, or you know this from, I know this because I set up a nursery with this theme of Noah's Ark. What's the sign of the covenant in this story? Yeah, it's the rainbow, right? Yeah. But if you look at the whole of the story, we think of of a rainbow as such just a beautiful uh, sign in nature. If you look at the whole of the story in Genesis, you might be a little bit more afraid. You might not want to teach this story in vacation Bible school. You might not want to use it to decorate your nurseries because this is what we see about the rainbow when we look at the whole of the story. The rainbow is not just a beautiful image in nature, but the rainbow is a weapon. It's a weapon that God hangs in the, cro- in the cloud. It's like he says, uh, here's my bow that I've used against you, and I'm going to hang it in the clouds, and I'm not going to use it against you anymore. I'm going to rest my bow. The ancient people thought that the rainbow was a divine weapon and that God was a really good marksman. And not only did they see the rainbow as a divine weapon, but then they also saw the lightning as the arrows. The arrows that were coming against creation in judgment. So when God hangs the rainbow in the clouds in Genesis, it is Yahweh saying, I'm resting my weapon. And the promise of the covenant is God saying, I will not destroy the earth again. Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament theologian, says that this covenant in Genesis chapter 9 depicts a shift. In God. When we read this story in Genesis chapter 9, Rugamon says we see a shift in God. Now, before you say, hold on just a second, Dinah, God never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and always. What I also want you to hear is this shift could be, it could describe either a shift in who God is, or it could describe a shift in how we understand God. And I believe that that is the case, that either could be true. But I believe this story tells us that there is a shift in how we understand God. The punchline in Genesis chapter 9 is that this God is not like other gods. The Lord will not be provoked to use a weapon against 
us and against creation no matter how bad we become. God won't do that. Now, there are a couple of different ways to look at the whole of the Bible. There are a couple of different themes that we can say, oh, these pop up over and over again in Scripture. And one of those themes that we see that carries throughout the Bible is garden. Like we can say the Bible's about goes from garden to garden, goes from the Garden of Eden to the Garden in Revelation. We could also say that the Bible is about an exodus. So that if we look at the whole theme of the Bible, we could say there's an exodus from slavery and it carries over into an exodus from slavery to sin and death. We could also look at the Bible and say, hey, the Bible's about different journeys. Everywhere we look in the Bible, we see that people are on it, on the go, that they're on a journey. But a fourth way, and the way that I want you to consider today, is that we could say, we could very well make the case that the Bible is about covenants. You can open up the scripture, you can open up the Bible, and like you step across a river on stepping stones, you can step through the scripture on covenants. You can look at the different covenants that God makes with God's people. There's this covenant in Genesis chapter 9 that God makes with Noah, that God makes with all of create with all of creation. There are, there's a covenant that God makes with Abraham. There's a covenant that God makes with God's people at Sinai, the 10 commandments, right? There's a covenant that God makes with David. There's a covenant that God makes through Jesus that Jesus talks about when he gathers his disciple and cel- disciples and celebrates the Lord's Supper with them. That's the new covenant that we sometimes refer to. So because we can open up the Bible and jump from covenant to covenant to covenant, I want us to consider what that means about who we are. What does that mean If we're living as faithful people, what does that mean for us? If we say we are a covenant people. And there are three things that I want you to remember about being a covenant people. Three implications for our lives. The first thing that being a covenant person means is that we value relationships. We value relationships over tasks that we do. We value relationships over right thinking or good, perfect theology. We consider, when we consider that God makes many covenants in the Bible, we see that God prioritizes relationship with people. That God prioritizes relationship with us over what we do or even how we think. Each covenant that God makes in the Bible is like an outstretched hand to a people that continually slap that hand. Not like a high five, but I don't want any. Each time God risks and God outstretches God's hand again in relationship. And so while the first thing is a relationship for covenant people, the second thing is closely related to that, and that is that we take a risk. So as covenant people... We are focused on relationship, and as covenant people, we are also looking for the risks that God is leading us into. Now, this doesn't mean that we're just adrenaline junkies as Christians. That's not what it means to take a risk as a Christian. Instead, it means that we take risks, we go after that cheese on behalf of other people. We don't just do it because of our own self-interests. 
but we look to the interests of other people. And when guided prayerfully, we take those risks on behalf of other people. When God hangs a bow in the clouds and God says, I'm no longer going to act in my own, out of my own anger toward creation, it's as though the shift is made in God that we get to also copy, that we get to duplicate. And the shift is, I'm no longer going to act for my own immediate gratification, but instead I now am going to act out of sacrifice. So I'm going to take risk on behalf of a relationship for my people. A few weeks ago, my um, 10th grade daughter brought home from school um, a project over the weekend that we referred to as the robot baby. (laughs) Now, the robot baby came home from her child development class. And um, the robot baby, when the, before the robot baby came to my house, a contract appeared on the bar of my kitchen, on my kitchen counter. And that contract said that this baby, this robot baby, would cry periodically, even at night, seven times the first night. That baby woke up a lot of times Friday night. <laughs> the, the contract said the baby would wake up and that Alice would be monitored in her care of the baby. And that she would get a project grade. And then finally, before I signed the contract, it said, you need to know that this robot baby that's coming home is worth $700. And if the robot baby doesn't come back to the school, then you're going to write a check for $700. (laughs) Believe me, that robot baby went back to school on Monday morning. I was glad to see that contract come to an end. Now, I have also had several friends this year and even family members that have not brought robot babies home from the hospital, but they brought actual babies home from the hospital. They didn't sign a contract when they were in the hospital, um, but they entered into a covenant nonetheless. When that baby is hungry, they feed that baby. When that baby is wet or dirty, they change that baby's diaper. When that baby is sick, they take that baby to the doctor. They care for the baby. I even have friends that have adult children. And what my friends with adult children tell me is that the covenant doesn't end that we enter into with our children. We don't stop loving them. We don't stop putting their interests ahead of our own. We don't stop sacrificing for them. I want you to know that I'm very well aware this morning that in a covenant, there is a chance that we get hurt. We enter into covenants and there's a possibility of a betrayal because we enter into covenants with a great deal of trust. And so we surrender our right to control in a covenant, and we give freedom to people who we love. It seems to me that as Christians, while we do a really good job posing opportunities for people to formally enter into covenants, we don't give them a very good opportunity to end covenants. Um, The end of a covenant for most of us just means pain, And then we make the decision how we're going to enter into that pain or avoid that pain. Some people just cut off at the end of a covenant 
and they don't ever think, they try not to think about that person again. They try to totally step out of that relationship. Other people pursue the person who has hurt them. They pursue them to tell them, you need to know that you broke the covenant with me and you need to know about how much pain I'm in. I like the picture of Jacob and Laban from Genesis chapter 31. At the end of their relationship in Genesis, they have a covenant at the very end of that relationship. Now, Laban and Jacob, they have some issues with one another. And so this is what the covenant sounds like. And you can put some sarcasm on this if you want to. But this, these are the words that Laban speaks over Jacob. He says, may the Lord keep watch between you and me while we are away from one another. May the Lord keep watch between you and me while we are away from each other. What I want you to hear in that covenant is not the sarcasm But what I want you to hear in that covenant is an entrusting. So that while they're not going to continue to be engaged in relationship with one another, they are entrusting the other person to God's care. Poet John O'Donohue writes about the end of a covenant this. He says, may we be able to view our lost friends with eyes that are wise to calming grace. May we forgive them the damage that we were left to inherit and free ourselves from the chains of resentment. So I think that's what God hopes for us when a covenant comes to an end, is that we entrust the other person that we cared about to God's, to God's good care and that we free ourselves from any chains or burdens that we've taken on, that we free ourselves from resentment. So relationship and risk are both qualities that we take on when we are covenant people. And the third quality that we take on is that we actively remember as covenant people. In the passage that we read today, um, when God talks in the scripture about the covenant, God says, I'm going to set the bow in the clouds and it's going to remind me. I'm going to remember the covenant that I made with all of creation. And in chapter 8 of Genesis, we get this line, God remembered Noah. <laughs> That's during the flood. When the flood, when the waters have flooded the earth, God remembers Noah. It occurs to me that when, with all of these covenants in the Bible, our role as faithful people is to remember those covenants. And so we tell the story to our children in Sunday school and at home and at vacation Bible, Bible school. We retell the story of those covenants. It's our job to remember. And it's our job as well to remember God's grace, uh, God's provision in the covenants that we enter into so that when we can't trust, we trust that God will provide. Um, I am reminded (laughs) that the night before Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread Gave thanks to the Father, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to the Father, gave it to the disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood. It's a new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, in remembrance of your mighty acts of salvation, we offer ourselves as living sacrifice. And we ask, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit upon this bread and this cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood for the world that surrounds us. Make us one with you, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in his final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Yeshua. Amen.